Fed Talks is a podcast for theater teachers and theater education students. Hi, I'm Dr. Jimmy Chrisman, theater education professor at Illinois State University. Each week I bring you stories and interviews from experienced K-12 theater teachers, current theater education majors, professors of theater education, and teaching artists that will warm your heart, renew your faith in teaching, and provide resources to better your practice in your theater classroom. So grab your coffee or glass of wine, plug in your headphones, or turn up your car stereo, and relax. Thanks for joining me for these heartwarming conversations and practical advice from other theater teachers on the front lines making a difference in their students' lives each and every day. I am very excited to welcome J.R. Willard-Rose from Flossmoor, Illinois. He teaches at Homewood Flossmoor High School. This is his 20th year of teaching and a big milestone. Uh, So welcome to the show. Um, I would love to hear kind of your journey to to where we are now um, for the the 20 years. So uh, welcome. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, my uh, journey in theater education, I guess, uh, like many, many of my colleagues probably can be traced back to high school when we uh, ourselves kind of got first exposed to theater. I remember I went to Maine South High School in Park Ridge and John Musinski was uh, my theater teacher and um, great friend still. And he, uh, I just remember seeing, you know, the audition signs for the first play, which was uh, The Mouse That Roared. And I had zero interest in sports and knew I was always a little theatrical and so I just auditioned and got cast as like student number three and <laughs> you know um it was it was wonderful it was a, the beginning of really sort of falling in love with this art form and um I, I do have fond memories of seeing theater as a child and as a younger person and always being sort of in awe of the magic of it, but then uh, being a part of it throughout high school, um, I think really turned a a corner in my head. Um, I think I always knew I wanted to be a teacher. My my mom, you know, recollects, and actually my sister is also a teacher, a high school teacher, um, and she teaches uh, family consumer science. So we're both high school teachers, but she, my mom can recall, me, you know, coming home from fifth grade and saying, you know, instead of talking about what what I learned, talking about what the teacher was doing and how I would set up the desk and how I would, you know, uh, maybe not do, like, do something different than the way the teacher did. And so I think I always knew I, uh, that education was, was a, a calling for me. Um, but then when I found theater, and then realized that I could do both of those things in one job. It was sort of like, it all kind of worked. Um, and then I um, uh, went to Illinois State University and I'm a proud Redbird and um, was part of the theater education program there, which I still 20 years later feel is one of the finest uh, teacher education programs in theater that anybody could ever have. And, constantly pushing my students that have any interest um, to really look at ISU because it's, uh, I mean, no bias, all biases aside, I guess, but um, I just really believe in that curriculum and the way that it's structured. Um, 
I know uh, my mentor, Sandy Zielinski and uh, Cindy Brown, uh, towards the end of my college days, really just um, helped me become the teacher that I am today because of the way that program was structured. And I remember um, being in, like, I don't even remember what class, like, like an adolescent psych class or something, or it was some sort of uh, course my junior or senior year where we had to, uh, you know, do a 20 minute lesson. And all of my, all the students in that class that were in other majors like math education, or science education, were like freaking out about teaching for 20 minutes like we had been doing that since like the third week of our freshman year and i just remember that moment being like wow this is a really like different unique program and makes us feel so comfortable like actually teaching um that my when student taught at niles north under tim Wortman. um i of course had my jitters and that kind of thing but it was um i just felt super prepared and I learned a ton from him as well. Um, I feel very fortunate to have these really incredible mentors and teachers throughout my, um, you know, high school, college, student teaching like, pathway that really shaped, uh, you know, who I am, what what my philosophies are uh, as a teacher, um, as a theater educator, um, and yeah. So I. Um, to HF um, along with some other schools and I kind of made a decision when I was uh, you know applying to schools that I was only going to apply to schools that had like theater classes available and um, directing and I had a lot of colleagues that were like you're not applying to this one I'm like no it's just English that's not what I want to be doing. I mean, I, I don't mind teaching English. I can teach English, but like, I want to be doing theater. And if if that's not you know what I what I'm gonna um, be doing, then I'd rather just wait till the right thing comes along. And so I applied at HF. Had no idea about the school. I, it was forty miles away from where I grew up, and um, came down, interviewed, and got offered the job fairly quickly. And I was like excited and I took it and it was just like, okay, I just, I just took a job. I didn't really, you know, <laughs> and it was kind of early in the, in the hiring, you know, it was like April or May, you know, so it was, it was pretty early. And, uh, then I like, my parents were like, oh my gosh, that's so far. Like, what are you doing down there? And I said, don't worry. I'll like stay there a year and then I'll apply for some, you know, somewhere up closer to you guys. And, you know, this is just a, it seems like a really cool school and it's a great job and I get to do theater. And after teaching there for a year, I'm like, I'm never leaving this place. It's such a special community. It's such an amazing school. We're so supported in the fine arts. Um, the community is wonderful. I now live here in the community with my husband and my four-year-old and, um, it's just great. Just love it down here. So that's a little bit about me. <laughs> well, tell me, tell me a little bit about your your program at, at the school you're at now, and uh, what what made you fall in love with the school and the community. Um, so HF is uh, really unique. It's a very diverse 
um, school, not only in, in terms of race, but also religion, socioeconomics. Um, it's about 65% black, about 30 or 20, 28% white. We have a growing Asian and Hispanic community. Um, we have lots of different uh, religious backgrounds and we have students that live in multi-million dollar houses and we have students that live in um, small apartments, you know, that are, you know, it's it's just everything, it, it, every kind of diversity you could imagine is all wrapped up in this one place. And I just think that that's a really special thing we don't see very often um, in education. And I think because um, there aren't that many communities that are really like this, where um, the people that choose to live here are choosing to live here because they value that. And you can see it in the way that people are raising their children and the values that they're instilling in them. And, the, and you know, um, we went through, when I first started at UJAP, there was a, a pretty... A pretty substantial white flight um, that kind of was happening and moving out to, you know, further west, whiter suburbs. Um, and I remember a dear friend of mine who did a lot of work um, doing racism and, you know, had all these wonderful programs that she was doing. She's like, let them go. It'll, it'll eventually figure itself out and the people that want to be here will stay. And the people that want to be here, we'll move in. And now in the last couple of years, um, like the housing market in Homewood and Flossmoor are like the top housing markets in all of the suburbs and you can't find a house. And there are so many people moving in. We just moved this summer to a different house in, in Flossmoor and all of our neighbors are, you know, completely multiracial and and we have a lot of lgbtq families and um people moving in from the city that just want their children to grow up in diversity and um that i think is what makes it and on top of it we just happen to have uh, incredible resources we're well funded um and the community and our administration just really supports the arts um, it just, uh, over the pandemic, this, it was kind of <laughs> interesting day. Um, we got a, a brand new, like $20 million fine arts expansion that included an entire brand new music wing. Um, <clears throat> and then they, and then they moved all of the art studios down into where the music used to be and redid all of those rooms and then, um, built us a, uh, eight or $9 million state-of-the-art black box with uh, um, a suspension grid and new dressing rooms and more shop space and two booths and I mean just really incredible and we were nervous about how that was all going to work because we we're going to have to be kicked out of, during all this and they did all the construction during the pandemic and so it was like we came back last March and it was like they just finished. So it was just like, <laughs> it was like, wow, that was great. You know, it was good. the timing couldn't have been better. Um, and so getting, being able to, you know, use those spaces and, you know, direct in a, in a gorgeous black box now. And um, it's really wonderful. And then a little bit about our program itself. So 
Um, we do um, like six main stage productions a, a year. Um, we do a, like a summer theater program that is high school kids and little kids. In August, we do a program called Leaders in Theater Ensemble that is uh, for upperclassmen. Um, and <clears throat> I run it like a, uh, like a Chicago storefront experience where we, like this year, we did Peter slash Wendy, which was a, a, a sort of stripped down version of Peter, Peter Pan story. But we started rehearsals August 1st. And the first performance was August 17th. So it's real fast. The kids are in charge of the budget. The kids make design decisions. The kids build. The kids do the costumes. The kids um, figure out marketing and, um, you know, how we want to set up the seats and, you know, all of that. It's all kind of their decision. Um, and then even in the way I direct it, it's very much like, a collaborative ensemble type of experience and creating um, what that show ends up being. And then we do a children's play in September. <clears throat> we do um, <clears throat> a straight show in October. And then um, we have uh, what something we call New Faces, which is uh, for freshmen and sophomores or juniors and seniors that have been in less than two productions um, that only they can audition for. And that is in February. And then um, we have our group interpretation, uh, IHSA, that's in March. And then uh, we have our musical in May, or April. And there's a new schedule for us. We switched everything around. <laughs> this year change the dates and and the shows and everything so and then we um have in our curriculum we have uh, intro to theater which is um a, a year-long course we have advanced acting which is a year-long course we have um script writing and directing which is a year-long course we have devised theater which is a year-long course um, and then we have something uh, that's new the last few years, which is um, we started a uh, performing arts academy within the school that is um, music, theater, um, visual arts, and media. And those students apply at the end of their sophomore year to be a part of the MVP program. And they take... Um, uh, the, specialty courses um, their junior and senior year. And, and the uh, junior year course is aesthetics and the creative process across the arts. And their senior year course is design thinking and arts. And so they take those courses together from multiple disciplines and work on projects. Um, we do um, creative placemaking, we do community um, outreach, we do um, our first social change, uh, you know, but they're doing those together with visual arts, music, theater, and uh, media, and the projects and the things that they're creating out of that is pretty remarkable. Uh, so I feel very fortunate that we have that and I'm able to teach in that program as well. I think that's so cool. Like all the really fun opportunities 
um, and really special opportunities that you, that your students have there for becoming these future theater makers and and yeah you know, we're very very lucky and <clears throat> I've been I keep having meetings with um, um, people at NYU because they just started two years ago um, a collaborative arts major and actually I got to right before the pandemic hit I got to go have a meeting with them in New York and it was just incredible to like talk curriculum with them and things that they were hopes that they had for this program they were just starting and we were just kind of starting our MVP program but that really was born for both of us out of this sort of desire we heard from students that was we love our our um, discipline but we are craving collaboration and we are craving being able to dabble in other areas and see what other artists are doing and create things together using our strengths and this like strengths approach to like what we do in the arts and um you know it's for them you know she the nyu um program director she said for them it's really about breath not depth like just it's it's like oh they'll have three weeks in puppetry and they'll have a week in you know specialty effects makeup and they'll have a week in you know modern dance and you know like and they're they're going to come out of this program with a little bit of information and a little bit of experience with lots of different things that have been working together on these projects and learning about different areas through these projects. And um, that's what our students were craving too. And we just felt like this is what we, we need to be doing. We need to get them all in the same room together and see what they can do. Yeah, that is so cool. So, so cool. Um, I loved um, when you were, were talking about your community and your school um and and the the uniqueness of the 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 makeup of your your community in school um and it made me think about my the the last school that i was teaching at in south carolina um and and we were the new school um like the first school in probably 40 50 years um wow. <laughs> and so like we we came in and like of course you know there was the the loyalties to the other two schools that have been there forever and you know we we pulled from all over and we 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 had that exact same kind of really unique makeup and i loved it i loved it i didn't i didn't want to go to one of the other schools i didn't <laughs> i had been recruited several times to go to a, a performing arts magnet and i'm like i love what i'm doing i love right. making the art with the kids that i have and and the diversity of the kids that i had um so yeah. I, I appreciate and, and people can't see, obviously, because they're listening to our conversation. But like the way you lit up as you were talking about that, like <laughs> I can tell that you you are in love with where you are. Yeah. And, 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 and it's because it's reflective of the world, you know, yeah. and, and isn't that what it's what we really should be doing as educators right? is beyond everything else. How are we preparing them to meet the world? in the world and be happy in the world with whatever they're doing and that world is going to be filled with a lot of people that look and feel and act nothing like them yeah. and i and i can tell you and i'm sure you have stories too from your school that when you know i have african-american students that come back 
after their freshman year at an HBCU, or I have white students that come back from a year at a mostly white college. There's some struggles there because it's they're like, oh my gosh, like I just like don't realize how much I value being around the diversity until it's gone, right? And I think for a lot of people that don't live in diversity, don't know what they're missing. Right. <laughs> you know, they don't, they don't, it's fine, life's fine, but but it's truly something special, yeah. right? So well, I want to go back and and I want to talk a little bit about um, your high school teacher, John Mazinski. I only know the retired John Mazinski. Um, <laughs> so talk to me about what uh, what that was like uh, learning with him and from him and what what inspired you uh, to, to do what you're doing. Yeah, so I mean, John was definitely uh, just an instrumental figure in my formative years and I think like a lot of theater theater kids you know I was different I didn't uh, you know always fit in I didn't always you know I, I don't know I, I don't think I was I don't want to say the word weird but I was probably weird and just different and um but John just saw somebody who had a passion and and I and I always joke with him that like you know I by far was not the most talented nowhere near um but he always kept me around and he uh, you know and i had some decent parts and i had some small parts and um but he always just kept me interested and then um i'll never forget my my senior year um we were doing the king and i and john literally came up to me and he was like jr there is no real role for you in the king and i this is before auditions and he's like but you probably already know that and you of course have every right to audition and i I would love for you to do that but i would really like you to be my assistant and and really start to learn because i had started to have these interests in um perhaps going into theater education and that was my senior year and um and i was like sure and like i felt so like just the way he did that like it made me feel like so special that he chose me to want to do this and i really took it seriously and then i think that's where i really started to fall in love with directing um and you know just it it became something that i wanted to explore further and luckily was able to do that at isu um but uh he was just, he, he was great. He was warm. He was funny. He um, had, <laughs> we used to joke because during some tense rehearsals, you could always see like a little vein in his, the side of his head. Like, <laughs> we're like, oh, the vein's going. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, but he, but he's, he's such a dear friend um, this day. And uh, I am so thankful that, you know, the fate fates had put me in his program and uh, i think about that often that if you know he was at a different school or if my parents moved to a different suburb like how things would be different you know and um i was truly blessed to to be a theater kid under john's and and what a great way for for him to very gently start teaching you about 
appropriate casting and finding a place for you in this production um, that isn't necessarily your story to tell. So I I just, I love that. I love, love, love that. And and since most people, since no one can see me, I'm six foot nine. And then my senior year, I was also six foot nine. So, you know, (laughs) casting me was always something interesting because you know, and in college, that was in ISU, like, oh my gosh, just like the different types of roles I had and trying to fit into an ensemble and them building me costumes that were, you know, I, I played the Mikado at ISU in the Mikado and my costume was 100% satin and was, I think, 44 pounds. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I think uh, this is just a personal note for, for, for you and I. I think my husband would love to meet you because he's usually the tallest one in the room. He's six six, um, So I am, I'm going to definitely share that with him. And uh, when you're in town, we'll have to meet up. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yes. That's awesome. Um, well, and the same goes for, for Sandy Zielinski and Cindy. I know the retired versions. Um, and uh-huh. obviously, I stepped into very big shoes that I'm still trying to fill um, in my role at ISU. Um, and you can plug ISU anytime you want. I'm okay with that. <laughs> um, but but what, were, what what about them uh, nurtured and, and, and fed you um, and carried you on the rest of the way to what you're doing now? So... Sandy was, and I, I hate saying was about someone that is not, <laughs> still with us, but, uh, you know, Sandy had um, these just remarkable, this remarkable energy, and she could capture the attention of someone 100 feet away with a glance. And I just remember thinking about the power that was in that, like how she could like move her glasses an inch and like tell a story. And she, she was just such a remarkable um, theater practitioner, a remarkable director, a remarkable teacher. Um, and her philosophy and the way that she ran the program at ISU and making sure that we were prepared as teachers and um, we were ready to go out out into the world um, was something unique. But beyond all of that, she was just a listener. And I, I so fondly recall many, many, many conversations in her office or at her home or on the phone where she would just listen. And she, you know, didn't placate and she didn't, you know, she, she gave you the hard line when you needed it. And she was just a, a mentor in all all respects right and everything you would want a mentor um and i just feel so proud to have her her program and her tutelage and um i know that there are lessons that i learned in 185 and 285 that still stick with me and that still are um something that i think about all you know just her foresight into, uh, I remember a lesson, you know, she did early on where we were all teaching um, many lessons and I think it was 185 and um, the rest of our classmates were role-playing as classmates 
I mean, as students. And um, she had told one of my friends to have a seizure while I was teaching. And it was one of the most horrific experiences like that I, I you know and just immediately dropping it and going to the student and and you know having another kid run down the hall to get you know and this was all through role play and in my second year of teaching hf i had a student have a seizure wow in my classroom and my body knew how to react and my mind knew how to react because I had been through the role play. And isn't that just such a, such a powerful lesson to learn about the power, right? And the power of theater and um, how we can place ourselves in imaginary situations, but our, our minds and our bodies can respond in real time to those things. So it was, it was just like those kinds of things that, you know, 25 years later, <laughs> you know, you're, you're still thinking about it. Um, you're still, I mean, and then that was obviously extreme, but she would, she would do things like, all right, uh, you know, she would tell a, a student in class, I don't want you to pay attention to anything, he says, just to see if I would even notice or and not just me, all of us when we do when we would do these things. Or I want you two to be, and this is pre-cell phones, by the way, but like you guys passing notes, <laughs> you know, or things like that. But um, you know, but those are the kinds of real life things that kids do yeah. and that they still do, cell phones or not, you know, and um learning how important it is to keep engagement, right? And yeah. and that once the engagement is gone, the learning is gone, you know? So and these are things every teacher struggles with. You know, no one's perfect, but um, I always try to think about those, you know, as, I, as I'm going through my career. And then with Cindy Brown, um, Cindy came in, uh, I was what, as what they refer to as a super senior. I was on campus for five years and then did my student teaching. So that was five and a half years of education. But I had a double major in acting and theater ed and a minor in English ed and endorsements in speech and something else. I don't know. Um, but Cindy came in uh, my senior year and I was actually on the committee that hired her. And um, I remember, and this was so interesting, and I hope she doesn't mind me telling the story, but I, I really, really appreciated um, Cindy uh, because she just was her own person. And she didn't make apologies for just being herself and making the decisions that she needed to make. And um, I was on her uh, panel, um, the interview panel, and they had flown her in from Arizona. And I was tasked with like picking her up from the airport and taking her to dinner. And there was like three or four other students and a few faculty members. And then um, we had a production that night of the importance of being earnest and taking her to see importance of being earnest. And 
so we're all there and there's two intermissions in importance of being earnest. And after the second intermission, she said, JR, I, I'm, I'm really sorry to do this, but I would really appreciate if you could take me back. Oh. And I remember my initial thought was, woman is here for an interview and she's leaving in the middle of a show. And I remember talking to her about it later. And she said, I, that was a really tough decision for me in my life. But that next day I had five interviews. I was observing teachers, had me going to university high school to watch a theater ed student teach a high school class. And I was doing like a master class in the directing course. And I needed to prepare and I needed sleep and I needed to feel like I was at my best and importance of being earnest is three hours long. <laughs> and she's like, and I just had to make that decision. And I, I, I learned so much just from that little discussion about self-care and about making the right decision for you is not always the right decision. And some people may not understand that decision, but you're the one that needs to understand that and um i just i i remember thinking what a powerful was able to do that because i would have stayed through the show and talked to every cast member and then been a zombie the next day right but she knew what was most important you know and it was just such a again i hope she doesn't mind me telling this story <laughs> But uh, I think she'll be all right. Um, but yeah, she she was just incredible, and I, I that was one of the things I wished. I wish that I had her for longer. I did have her as the teacher in creative drama, and I think one of the three eighty fives, and then her and Sandy both came and saw me student teach. So I did have um, have her for a little bit of the end of my career, but a remarkable woman nonetheless. I. I when i interviewed uh, and i don't know if people know what a university interview is like like it is you you run a marathon that you really can't train for um right. and, and you're going nonstop. um yeah. and i remember at my interview because I, I did the the evening thing before with dinner and and they toured the facility with me and there was mm -hmm. a show going on. So I didn't have a, a show to sit through. But <laughs> the next morning um, I literally at seven 30, I was teaching in the, the one eighty five two eighty five. they brought them all together mm -hmm. for, for me to teach. And after that lesson, she pulled me aside and she said, when you have a five to 10 minute break throughout your schedule today, she said, protect it and take your break, breathe, Calm down, relax, go to the restroom, get water, but take that time for you. She said, they're yeah. going to give you the option of not doing it. She said, I'm telling you right now, take the break. And I, God bless her for, for that. Cause like, I didn't know what I was getting into going to this. Interview. Right, right. And she, she really, she was fantastic. But one of the other things that she said to me, um, at my interview when it was just the, like the 45 minutes that she and I had together, um, she said, um, she said, uh, whatever decision is made for the hiring, she said, I, I want to tell you, if you are the, the choice, if you are who we go with, she said, don't be afraid to make the changes necessary to bring this program to where it needs to be. 
She said, it's a great program. She said, I love it, but it's time for some freshening up and it's time for someone to come in and make some changes. She said, and don't Mm -hmm. be afraid to do that. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, and, and Sandy, God bless her. She was the first person I worked with in some community theater here. And, um, I have been trying to get her on the podcast, but she refuses to meet on zoom with me. Um, I have to bring my equipment to her and we have to sit and talk face to face. So the, the grand dame will be on here one day when when we can do that. But I appreciate you sharing those stories about that. Um, I want to ask about your um, the 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 summer theater program, and you talked a good bit about the the upper class experience already, upperclassmen experience already um, mm-hmm. in your program. Um, if a teacher is like, "I'm in love with these ideas," what do I do? How do I make these happen? Um, what what would be your your words of advice and wisdom for for getting things started like that? Yeah, so the summer theater program um, is was actually run by my colleague uh, Dilbanavia Galagani, and she just retired um, this year. Uh, and uh, one of my other colleagues is taking it over. Um, but basically, I, it, it is like a, I think second grade is when they start allowing um, uh, admissions. Uh, so second grade through high school and. To be fair, I would say that we have a large number of incoming freshmen and a few sophomores, but then they kind of trickle out of that being juniors and seniors and not wanting to like be in a play with a second grader. But uh, <laughs> but we have found that it is like instrumental in um, you know our program because we're captivating these kids and getting them really early and we've had we have kids that have done those for six seven years before they come to hf and then they're in the theater program um and usually what it is is she does like a broadway junior show um and they made it kind of like a camp they would hire uh, students like counselors um or graduates and usually a graduate choreographer and a graduate vocal director um and you know they it was like monday through thursday after summer school it didn't meet the same time as summer schools which was another key thing because take summer school and then do summer theater and um parents are like oh that means they're at school from 7 30 to 4 i love it you know so <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was great um and then everybody gets a role if they don't want a role they can do tech but they don't you know if if you're signed up um you uh, it can, um, you know, get, get credit for it, like a summer school class. Um, and it's just really great in, in building um, an audience and also building um, theater kids to come. Um, and then the, the light program, the leaders, um, I actually um, stole and sort of borrowed that idea from Tim Ortman at Niles North. He had a, a similar program, and I think he still does have a similar program that he does in late summer and opens the show the first week of school um which always sounds crazy but it always happens and um a really great way to like talk to those older kids about like we talk about leadership looks like and um the importance of the decision making and thoughtfulness and mindfulness in um that decision making and how are we being good role models and that kind of sets up the year for having a decent amount of kids like thinking about those things as they're 
you know, going through. And um, we usually use those kids to um, come to audition meetings and model good and bad audition behavior and things like that. But like, you know, just to like give them some leadership opportunities and let uh, them help younger people like understand, you know, we, we have a, a running joke. We had, we had one, one girl about 10 years ago who came into an audition and in the middle of her song blew her nose because she was sick apparently but then took the tissue and then threw it on the ground and then exited the audition. So that has become like kind of a funny joke and every, <laughs> every, every now and again, somebody will do it as a joke. <laughs> throw, throw your... In COVID, it's not as funny. No. <laughs> COVID, it's not as funny. <laughs> as I'm sitting here in quarantine because my family has COVID. So, yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, talk to me about with all that you have going on with your program at the school. Um, you're a dad. You're a husband. Where? How do you find that balance? How do you? How do you take care of you and your family as well? Um, yeah, that's a, a great question, and I something that I want to say I never thought about until about mm, maybe six or seven years ago. I want to say the first. 12, 13 years of my career, my life was my career. Um, and I, I don't say I regret that, but priority shift in your life and becoming a husband and a uh, homeowner and a father and all the community member and like all the other hats that we wear, um, you start to realize that you don't have to be superman or supergirl or super person you do the best you can you know you're making conscious choices to do the best you can and you're going to make mistakes but you have to give yourself time and you have to give your family time um i remember probably the first five years of my my career my rehearsal schedules like i've gone back and looked at some of them now and like Oh my God, like I was rehearsing every single day for four hours or, you know, just ridiculous. And I'm, I'm like, what am I doing? What am I doing? And now, like, I've realized, like, and this is my, my opinion. Some people think this is nuts, but, you know, I feel like for high school kids, anything over an hour and a half to two hours, you, you stop losing the attention. And so to have a three or four hour rehearsal, I mean, obviously tech is a different, but like to have like a walking rehearsal or a choreography rehearsal that's four or five hours long, they're not with you. They're not with you mentally. They're not retaining. Um, their lives are so busy. They have so much stuff going on. Their attention spans are divided because of, you know, everything else that's going on in the world and their phones and their households. And, but if you can, you know, I'm in for two hours and like put everything away and like really work that that is so much more valuable than four hours of 
interruptions and craziness and you know and so i kind of like try to talk about that a little bit before we start and say i don't and i don't like wasting your time i don't i'm one of those directors that doesn't call people unless they're needed and some some directors are like everyone showing up you're gonna sit here until i tell you to get on stage and that's just not me i the less kids that i can have in the room <laughs> <the better> <laughs> Because it like yeah. you know keeps the focus right for me and for for them, and um, so I'm pretty deliberate about like we're blocking scenes two, three, and four today. I need these people from four to five, and these people from five to six. And if you would like to come and observe, you can. But you can sit in the back and not talk, or else I'll ask you later. And I always give them that option because there are some kids that just want to be here every day because. They don't want to go home. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, I know that that's a real thing. And um, I, I always leave that option open. But um, just calling the whole cast and making them sit there goofing around or doing their algebra homework when they could be at home <laughs> living their lives and doing their algebra homework, <laughs> I would rather them do it another way. Um, but yeah, for my own sanity and for my family and, uh, you know, having a four-year-old now, uh, it's tough being 43 with a four-year-old. <laughs> it's tough. It's tough having a four-year-old for anyone. But when you're, when you're 43 and you have a four-year-old, it's, uh, it's a lot. And uh, I, I definitely, uh, you know, he's first. He's first in my life. And um, I work, obviously, to put you know, be able to provide for him. And also because I love my job and um, I'm so fortunate and I, I but I, I do need to realize that my time with him is much more valuable and you only get it once, yeah. you know? So trying to figure out ways that, okay. So like, you know, for, because we do so many productions a year, essentially we have about a four and a half week rehearsal period. Mm-hmm. Even for, like, you know, my claim to fame is we we did Into the Woods in three and a half weeks one year, a couple years ago. And I was like, if I could do Into the Woods in three and a half weeks, I could do anything. So <laughs> I was like, all right, all right, there we go. And so now when I'm doing something that's smaller, I'm like, oh, we got four weeks for that? That's, that's a piece of cake, you know? Um, but that intensity and, and front-loading it... Um, I think is is just really important and being able to have a few nights a week where I just get to come home and be a dad and not have to worry about running back to school and missing bedtime and missing dinners and you know and also um, I'm very fortunate that I'm in a program and this is interesting because I know I there I that I have friends and colleagues out there that feel the exact opposite but my entire career I've had colleagues um my colleague jill and i always split the shows and split um classes and um now i have um some other colleagues and you know i have friends that say oh god doesn't that bother you not just like having your own program where you get to make all the decisions and you you get to do all the shows and i'm like i don't want to do all the shows i've never wanted to do all the Right. 
I, I would be at school every single day. And I have friends in pro other programs that are at school till nine or 10 o'clock every single day. And that's just not for me. And if, it's, if that's what they love and that's their life, God bless them. Like, that's wonderful. Um, but I have so enjoyed having um, a colleague um, or multiple colleagues to be able to um, share those responsibilities with, co-parent all of our children's children with, <laughs> because that, you know, that, that can be tough too, you know? Um, and we're also fortunate that we have a full-time uh, technical director and we're able to hire out um, um, designers and uh, contractors for different positions, choreographers and music directors and hair and makeup people or a sound designer or a projector. Designer. So having those people come in, we always make sure that that's a, also an educational experience. It's not like they're just in the work and the kids never see them, that it's, you know, they're part of that process. And um, But having a family of adults, our family of kids, <laughs> is, is um, uh, pretty special. And, and I'm very thankful. What a great opportunity for your students as well to, to be able to work with different people and different styles and making themselves adapt to different people. Because I, I had a, a there were two of us at, at my last school, and when when the new teacher started and she was directing her first show, I would have students come to me. Oh my gosh, she did this in rehearsal, and I'd be like, hmm, curious what you're going to do with that. Go back to rehearsal. Go figure that out because. You need to learn how to work with other people. Right. Absolutely. <laughs> and, you know, it's funny because um, Jill, my colleague, and I, um, we could not be more different, you know, in just our <laughs> approaches. we I think we have very similar philosophies, which was great, but just the way we run rehearsal, the way that we, um, you know, everybody, Jill is um, the nicest, sweetest, most amazing, wonderful person you've ever met. She lights up a room when you when, when she walks in she makes everyone feel like a million bucks like that's just who she is and um it's just you know it was great to have have somebody that i did that yeah. you know mama bear figure you know um but also just the keep for like like you, like you just said like it's need to learn that directors are going to be different and teachers are going to be different and bosses are going to be different and colleagues are going to be different. And then that circles back to the whole diversity thing too, that this like embracing the differences that surround you and the, you know, understanding that everybody does things different ways and you may agree or you may disagree, but you know, that's the world, you know, but yeah. it's learning to adapt and to pivot and, Certainly COVID's taught us that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would love to hear one of your favorite stories from your career so far. A funny moment, horror story, touching moment. Oh, boy. Um, let's see. Let me think. Okay, horror story. We were doing um, black comedy, which if you are unfamiliar with the premise of that show, um, it's a British farce, and the first five minutes of the show are in complete darkness, but you're hearing an entire, you know, scene happen between these two people. 
And then all of a sudden you hear a record player like slow down as though the, and you hear like a, the, like a power turn. And the, when the power goes out on stage, the stage lights come up. So that's the premise is that they're the, the act, you know, the characters are with no power. You cannot see anything in front of them. Right. So they're like fumbling. It's a farce and they're fumbling because it's in the dark. And I had this actress who was doing her thing and fumbling around and she knocked over, I don't know if it was a glass or a tray or something that was actual glass. Never put real glass on stage um, is a tip. <laughs> so she was one of those actors that was like super committed and wasn't going to um allow anything to you know come in in between her and the show and so he proceeded to kneel down to clean up the glass but in doing so just kneeled in the glass and she was wearing white it takes place in like 60s mod england so she was wearing this like mini dress with these big white knee-length boots and throughout the rest of the show i ran backstage and she refused to come off but she is bleeding <laughs> down these white boots she ended up needed, needing like seven stitches like it was oh it's horrible but luckily there's only a few minutes left in the show and she just finished um i'm trying to think of some other crazy or fun stories um we had oh this was a touching story we, we were doing sister act and um one of our freshman girls that was in sister act her brother was in the military and had been gone for two and a half years on assignment and her parents called and said that they found out he was coming home and was coming home on closing night and so could we do something Absolutely. So after the show ended, um, I just got on the stage and like gave a fake speech for a second and then um, asked her to come forward. And then her brother like came down in his military dress and she jumped off the stage and was, I mean, the whole place was just sobbing. And it was, it was like, you know, really special moments. And, you know, typically I don't like breaking the fourth wall or doing those kinds like you'll never catch me on stage at the end of a show or it's just not you know but when those kind of things happen that's like a moment that changes a life and you know creates a memory i think that created a memory for everybody who's you know and just a really special thing and i think that's why we do what we do we have these opportunities to tell stories and to create moments and um make people think and think about ourselves as humans and how to be better and how to learn from our mistakes. And, you know, it's why we do what we do. And I, I, I tell my kids that at every show, I say, you know, thank you for reminding me that I have the best job in the world because I do. And I think everyone that's probably been on your podcast will agree with me, you know, that we, we truly do have the best job. My, you know, my husband is, always jealous and not that he hates his job, but it's not his passion. And it just reminds me that, that God, I'm, I am literally getting paid to do what I love. And the fact that it's been 20 years 
and very rarely have I woke up and gone, ugh, I gotta go to work when I know half the world gets up and has that feeling. I feel super lucky. Well, I'm, before I get to my last two questions, I'm going to ask you another one um, that's probably a personal one. Um, you and I both have a, a, a student in common um, mm-hmm. who is in the midst of probably her second week of teaching, I believe. Um, uh, yeah. I would love to know what that's like for you. Um, are we allowed to say her name? Um, I say so. She can yell at me later if she wants to. Yeah, she can yell at me later. <laughs> so this is Sarah Esparza. And um, Sarah uh, graduated from our program what, five, five or six years ago. And then um, just graduated from ISU and is student teaching, or just finished her student teaching and is now in her, her very first classroom and got the text messages with the, you know, the... Um, her setting up her room and um it is very very special for me sarah is the first student that i've had in my entire career that has gone into theater um i've had a ton go into theater and you know and at hf uh, we're very very lucky we have a ton of talented kids um i think i've had seven or eight now on Broadway. Uh, you know, it's so incredible to be able to go there and see them on stage living their, their dreams. And um, But there's something completely different and special about um, having a student follow your footsteps and see something in what you did for them over your, you know, uh, their high school career and decide, I want to do this. I know that because John told me that. I think I would person going to theater education and it is it's so exciting it's so and, and there couldn't be a better kid i mean she's just top notch and i cannot wait to see what she does in her career and how she will inspire and um i loved having her in my program and was fortunate enough to have her sister in my program too and um just a great family and I'm so proud of her. Yeah. No, I just want to thank you for doing this because I know I really enjoy listening to these and I learn from them as, as a teacher. And I encourage, you know, everyone to go back in, into the archives and just pull one out at random. And um, I love that that you reach all across, you know, the country and the world. And, you know, just because you know, we know people local, but we don't know a lot of these people that are in different places of the world and seeing how they do things and their perspectives. And, um, it's just, it's really great. And I, I, I know it's like a fun thing for me to do when I'm just like, I don't want to watch Netflix right now. Let me, <laughs> it's like something else, you know? So, um, so thank you for that. And thank you for, um, continuing to, uh, make ISU's theater ed program strong and make me so proud to, have come from there and to send kids there. Yeah, thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate you saying that. Well, my last two questions are the ones that I ask everyone. Uh, the first is, what is a resource that you are currently using or have used that is a must-have for theater teachers? Um, okay, so I this isn't super new or, or anything, but it's kind of new to me. I, I use Canva, mm. um, which 
has like changed my life. It's like really incredible. And if you don't know what Gamba is, um, you can do a little bit for free, but then I think it's like 80 bucks a year or something. But it's basically like a graphic design program, but like super, super, super easy to use. And they have so many templates. So like all my rehearsal calendars on there, I do um, my programs. Oh, and this is another thing I, I, I want to, sh I'll share because this is cool. On Canva, you can create, so um, like you can take like your poster, but then you can also resize it to an Instagram post or to a Facebook post or to a Twitter, you know, so that it's shaped like all the different social media platforms. And it just does it for you. You don't have to spend hours and hours like reconfiguring it or making it again. So that's really helpful for like social media and marketing. But this year we made a commitment. We weren't sure how it was going to go or going to be received, but we decided to that we were just going to do digital programs, like save on trees. And, you know, also every theater teacher will know that like the bane of our existence is like that deadline of like when it has to be printed by. And when you do a digital program, folks, guess what? The deadline is never because it's digital <laughs> and it's live. So I, I kid you not, this year, my first show, I had a parent come up to me and be like, I am so sorry, Mr. Rose, but my daughter's, our, our last name is misspelled in the program. And I'm like, really? And I picked up my phone and I opened the app and I changed it. And I'm like, it's not wrong anymore. And it was <laughs> like, oh, it was so great, you know, to not feel like you're like just to this kid or there's some horrible mistake and you paid all this money for printing. Um, and then the parents can go home and print it off if they want or do whatever they want with it or save it or put it in a digital scrapbook or whatever. So that's been really great. We just use a QR code um, and we have signs up when you walk in. It's like access our digital program and they just pull it up right on their phone and it's awesome. And literally we were like putting the finishing touches on, you know, when the kids were putting makeup on. <laughs> so it, was, it was great. <laughs> awesome. I know, and I know Sarah is a Canva freak. She loves Canva. She will sing Canva's praise all day long. Um, my final question for you is what are your parting words of wisdom for new theater teachers entering the field or that veteran teacher just needing an encouraging word right now? For new teachers, you are entering one of the best fields in the world and um, you're going to have hard days and know that you've got so many people that are with you and have also had those hard days, but it, at the end of uh, a period or an hour or a show or a week or a year or a month, it, it you will be so satisfied with what you're doing because you're making a difference and you're making art with kids. And I just don't think there's a lot of things more noble than that. Um, and to an older teacher like myself, <laughs> <laughs> hang in there um you're you're not as old as you probably feel and your kids have no idea how old you are so um keep the energy and uh you know keep coming up with fresh new ideas that's one thing and, and i don't mean to diss anybody um for their choices but i'm one of those people where very rarely like will i repeat a show like i think i've only done like two things twice and very very different concepts I just think there's so much literature out there, you know, there's so many things you owe it to yourself to like fall in love with something new and do something great instead of like doing our town for the night. <laughs>
So that would be my question. If you're thinking about just repeating something because it'll be easy, take a chance on something. Yeah. Well, JR, thank you so much for joining me and for, for sharing your stories and your experiences. Um, I wish you all the best this year. Well, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Jimmy. And thanks for all, all that you're doing and keeping our field alive and fresh for so many of us. And that is a wrap for this episode of Fed Talks. Thank you so much for checking out this episode. Tune in next week for the next one. We have so many great teachers coming up and so many that have already been with us. So if you are not already subscribed to the podcast, go on your favorite podcast provider, subscribe to us, rate us, leave us five stars, review us. More importantly, share the podcast with those theater educators in your life who you think could benefit from what we're doing here on the show. Visit our website, www.fedtalks.com for the pages for all the teachers who have been on our show. Email me at fedtalkspodcast at gmail.com. If you have an idea for a future guest on the show or suggestions or topics that you'd like to have on the show, email me. I love interacting with you on there and I always follow up. Follow us on all of the social media that's out there. We are out there on Twitter at Theater Ed Talks. On Facebook, we have a Fed Talks page and Instagram Fed Talks Podcast. Once again, our website is www.fedtalks.com. Thank you, teachers, for all that you do. Thank you for listening. Continue to be the lights that you are and changing all those lives. I appreciate you. Take care.